You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. All right. Uh, we are fortunate today to have Bert Burleson with us. You can come on up, Bert. Uh, we preach to us. Bert is the... You know, yeah. Round of applause for Bert. Uh, Bert is the university chaplain at Baylor and a longtime friend of UBC at many different points in our history. So glad to have you here today, Bert. Take it away. Looking okay? I think it was about... <clears throat> I, I, Julie is here, and Julie and I got here in February of 1995. And I'm not certain, but right in there is when UBC starts because I, I remember opening the, the paper for the first time, the Waco Trib, and, and there was an article on, on the founding of UBC. And it has been a place for me uh, of connection and, and friendship. A, a lot of folks that have journeyed together and have blessed one another, and I would put... Um, Josh at the top of that in so many ways over the last bit. He started this role when I started at Baylor. And we kind of clung to one another some along the way. And he was not only a friend of mine, is not a, only a friend of mine, but is uh, a pastor to me as he's pastored you. And it is an honor to be here on this particular day as you begin a, a new chapter of your journey. Lord, you desire truth in our inward being. So teach us wisdom in the sacred heart. Amen. Sing with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. How many times have you sung the words, I once was lost and I am found? I'm, I've been singing this song for at least 60 years. I don't know how many times you sing Amazing Grace in a year if you're a pastor and a chaplain, and, but I'm figuring it's over a thousand times. And I bet you you've sung it a lot too. And, and maybe you have your favorite phrase from that. But this one I think stands out with people. I even saw a documentary on this once because we all know what it's like to be lost. This frustrating experience, this experience that can be a, a time of panic for, for people when they get lost, and we've all been lost. How many of you, when you were a kid, got lost in the grocery store? That's just awful. Or lost at the fair, like your brother went off and left you. My older brother would do that occasionally. How many of you were overseas, uh, maybe as a college student, and got lost? We've all been lost. Maybe when you're in the middle of a test or a paper and there's just this sort of disorienting 
kind of sense and you just feel lost or um, maybe you're in a relationship and you can't tell what's going on and you feel a bit lost. We, uh, we get lost when we drive. We get lost when we hike. We get lost when, you know, their box arrives with a piece of furniture in it that you thought was going to show up completely assembled, but now you've you got to deal with it and it's chaos for you and your loss. So we can be lost. And it's hard to be lost vocationally, to be lost spiritually, to be lost emotionally, relationally. Who am I? Whose am I? Where am I? Where in the world am I going? Is there a way through this? Is there anybody that can help me out? Would anybody just find a map for me? Somebody do that? I'm going to show my cards to you right here at the beginning of the sermon. In my opinion, chapter 15 of Luke is so beloved, just like Amazing Grace is, because we uh, muggles that we are get lost a lot, not just in the grocery store, and it's not just one time. And we desperately, desperately want the God made known through Christ in the gospel of Luke on that particular chapter to be at the heart of who we are as Christians and certainly be in the heart of God. It's important, I think, to note, to sort of back up a little bit and get a running start into this chapter. There's a, there's a bit of a setup here, maybe. You've got this graceful, joyful chapter that is so important to us. And then you, you look back a little bit in 13 and 14, and you see these other parables and teachings where it seems like, at least it seems like, there's an end to God's graciousness. Like, you know, salt, salt losing its savor and uh, it's tossed out. Or, or people being invited guests and they start making exclusives, excuses uh, as to why they don't want to go to the party and they're eliminated. Doors shut on people who don't get to come inside something and there's all that weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth going on. There's people being thrown out and cut off like the parable of the fig tree that happens in chapter 13. You know this parable? Where this owner of a vineyard plants a, a, a tree, a fig tree, in the middle of the vineyard. I guess because this particular a uh, guy liked figs and he wanted figs for breakfast or something. So instead of having the whole thing growing grapes, he's got a fig tree in the middle and for three years, nothing happens. The tree bears no fruit. And so he's tired of that. He has had it with this unfaithful fig tree. And he says, you know, just, just cut it down. But the gardener says, you know, let's give it one more year of probation. We'll fertilize it. We'll see what happens. The fertilizing line, by the way, literally in the Greek is put some poop on it. That's, what it. that's what it is. Maybe that will help the tree to grow and to bear fruit and make for a nice figgy pudding. Uh, but if not then, cut it down. Cut it down. Don't tell anybody I said this, but I hate it when Jesus doesn't sound, at least to me, me as a spiritual muggle, when Jesus doesn't sound like Jesus, <laughs> cut it down. 
cut it down, just get rid of it. So maybe Luke, as he was putting this together, this good gospel writer, uh, is thinking there's some folks getting nervous about right now, about all the no more chances talk. And, and Luke thinks to himself, this would be a, probably a good place to put those lost and found parables. He knows his audience even 2,000 years later. Or maybe, probably more likely, he puts these stories near one another so we have to struggle with the paradox of a God who cares about what we become and what we do and a God who is utterly graceful. There's tension there. There is. Does God, does love have expectations? Is love love without expecting something of of someone that you, you love? Doesn't a human being come into being with some kind of calling on their life to do something, to be something, to give something, to bear fruit? Those kind of questions ought to be kind of bouncing around in your brain just a little bit uh, this morning as we zoom in on this very gracious conversation Jesus has with some Pharisees who really provide the setup. The Pharisees, as usual, are mumbling and grumbling. You know how you, let's just do a little mumbling and grumbling. It's like, rah, 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 rah. do that with me. Rah, 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 rah. Okay, y'all help me with this, because it was always going, it's like the backdrop of his life, just rah, 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 right? Jesus has the wrong friends. Rah, rah. That was not very good. I'm going to give you another chance. Jesus has the wrong friends. Jesus is soft on sin. Jesus doesn't really believe the scriptures. Jesus believes in critical religious theory, CRT. You may not know this, but this is actually true because, you know, I've done a lot of research on this. And when a Pharisee applied to be a Pharisee, a man would do that. During the interview, the committee would always ask the candidate to do their best mumble, grumble, mumble, grumble. I promise that's true. I read it somewhere anyway. A French theologian by the name of Wikipedia. Uh, you'll, you'll laugh about that I mean, an hour from now. All right. Mumble, grumble sets up Luke 15, and and the reality of the mumbling and grumbling that is a part of the world. It sets up the teachings. These mumblers, these grumblers, love the parable of the fig tree where God's patience runs out with someone who doesn't produce. And Jesus, who's really tired of the mumble and grumbling, I mean, I I know what he's thinking about saying, (laughs) and he thought, no, Because he loves them, he thought, I'll just tell them a story or two. No arguments, no apologetics, no, let me see if I can outquote you from the Old Testament. Just three, really maybe four stories, depending on how you count them. Several stories of lostness, because people get lost in different ways, don't we? Like some, some wander like a sheep. They just nibble their way into lostness. They don't have any plan. There's no real direction here. They're not really awake. They just nibble themselves off away 
from the fold and what really nurtures them. And then they, they look up, oh my. I know some folks, <laughs> I have some friends, dear friends, loved ones even, who got lost like this, like a wandering sheep. They didn't mean to, really. I mean, they, were, they weren't paying attention. They, they weren't on an intentional path. They weren't really meaning to do anything, just led along by appetites. And, and they looked up one day and they realized that their life was very, very thin. And, and they had very few connections and not much meaning and purpose or sense of calling. All they had was an appetite and a soul that had shrunk, so they got lost, and and maybe you know what that's like. That's the first parable. We didn't read it, but it's the first parable. The second parable is about a lost coin, and it seems like a, a coin that's really, it's not so much valuable that it seems to be precious to this woman who turns things upside down. It might be enough to, you know, buy food for a day, but for some reason, this coin matters, and the coin got lost. Don't you figure it just got dropped, right? Because things get dropped. We drop stuff, coin-like stuff, and they roll, roll away. Coins get overlooked, maybe because there's so much else on our minds, or they get accidentally, you didn't mean to, but, you know, they get covered up by something or maybe hidden for a reason, but then people forgot where they hid them. Coins don't wander, they roll, and they land in some lost place. And they're lost because of someone else's doing, some frail creature of dust lost something valuable. And I've known some folks, and so have you, I've had friends and dear friends and loved ones who got lost just this way. Maybe you did too. Did things just happen to you by chance or by someone's brokenness or limitation or sin or somebody not paying attention? It's the second parable. Third parable, this beloved story of the lost son is is different because the son wants this. You're here and I wanna be out there as far away from you as I can get. I'm gonna take my stuff, yeah, the stuff you gave me, and I'm gonna go as far away from you as I can get. I want nothing to do with you in my ministry. I've known some parents who know what it's like to hear that message from a daughter or son. I'm out of here. And I know folks, so do you, who, who have found themselves lost. Friends, dear friends, loved ones even, who got lost on purpose, really. Maybe you've made a trip or two to the far country. That's the third parable. There's really a fourth, or at least you can think of it that way, a fourth way of being lost. Here's the younger brother who crushes his father's heart and heads off to all things far away, but there is the older brother who stays home but is lost for sure. And in a way, his his kind of lostness is the most perilous because he doesn't know that he's lost. Carl Jung says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life. 
If you don't make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life. You won't see what's going on. Jesus said in, in chapter 9 of, of Luke's, I mean of John's gospel, Jesus is actually responding to more mumbling and grumbling. And he says to these folks, because you think you see, your blindness remains. To be lost and to not know it is bad for you. But let me tell you something else, and we know this every day in the headlines, it's really bad for the world too. And that's what the fourth parable here really is about. Remember, all of these parables of lostness are prompted by mumbling and grumbling. Those who thought Jesus was doing it all wrong, receiving and including and finding those who were wandering and finding those who got dropped and finding those who went far away and even finding the Pharisees that have no room for all of the above. He tells four different stories of lostness and they're different. But there's some things they have in common. I just want to share that with you here. They're found by the one whose heart is broken and absolutely must be reunited with what is lost. There is the one whose heart is broken and finding a way to unite, to reunite with what is lost is at the heart of this one. In the first parable, the heart is in a shepherd. He had a hundred sheep. Did you hear? No, you, we didn't read it, so you didn't hear it, but he had a hundred sheep. Uh, and one, just one, wanders off. I mean, given all the wolves and all the wandering sheep are prone to do, don't you think like losing 1% is not that big of a deal? Just one, right? And so he sort of plays with the, the, the uh, mumbler grumblers. He says, hey, which one of you, like if you hadn't, you know, 100 sheep and one of them wandered off, which one of you wouldn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one? And they're all thinking, well, I wouldn't do that. This guy would make a terrible shepherd, right? right? He didn't know anything about the sheep business. You know, you lose one along the way. But in this shepherd, there is this heart. He knows the sheep, longs to be with what is loved and lost, and so the shepherd goes looking. That's the essence of this shepherd. And it's common in the stories, the heart's disposition towards what is lost. The woman in the lost parable turns the house upside down, even though she still has nine coins. But she is one who doesn't stop searching. That's her essence. That's who she is. That's what flows from her. The father in the lost younger son story, you notice he, he doesn't follow his son to the far country trying to talk him out of this. You notice he doesn't put up any fight when his son says, I'll take my inheritance now, thank you very much. Giving, given his longing, I think, to be truly with his son, to be loved by his son, Son, he lets him go. He sets him free to be lost. So at some point, he'll be free to return. Maybe for some folks, and you know folks like this, it's just the fastest way home back to the father's front porch to, to go through a land far away. 
when the boy comes to himself out there. I love that line. He came to himself. And he returned home. The father is on the front porch where he sat rocking every day, don't you know, looking at the horizon. And one day he sees that familiar gate that is his son's way of walking. That's happened to me at graduation ceremonies with my kids mostly, you know, because they're all dressed in those black robes and you can't find them and they all got the same hat on. But I could see the way my son Brant walked. There he is. And it's that way for this father. And you know what he does. He runs to him. He saw the familiar walk and he ran, which is the essence of this loving father. It's a common element that the heart is going to reunite with what is lost and and like the lost lamb and like the lost coin, like the lost younger brother, the older brother is lost too, down in his own judgment, trapped by his bitterness and the inability to to see his own stuff, his own darkness and sin. Some people get lost like that. I know some folks like that. I've had some friends and dear friends even, loved ones even, who've lost their way just like that. And here the father goes out again. This is the essence of the father. It's the essence of God, the movement out. And then he comes back, right? That's the thing that happens in all of these parables, to come back uh, because there's a party going on. Did you notice that in every one of these parables? In the lost sheep parable, the shepherd doesn't even go back to the 99, right? They're still out there kind of wandering around, I guess. And the shepherd takes this one home and throws a party and he says, come rejoice with me, all his friends and neighbors together. He creates a community. Come to the party, be in on it. Woman does the same thing, calls her friends and neighbors to the celebration. And of course, the the father, having run to his son and and kissed him and reinstated him, then gets the whole clan together, throws a big party, fatted calf and all. The older brother can't understand it. He can't enter into it. He really is stuck in his mumbling and grumbling. Doesn't add up. He can't see it. He has this frame around everything he looks at in life and no one's ever helped him move that frame so he can join the party. We all get lost, but we all can be found. Someone is always searching for each one of us, going out to you where you are. It's the essence of God. It's the heart of the Christian faith. The reality that is beyond us, right, is not far from us, paradoxically. The being of God is not just this sort of cosmic being beyond and above, powerful and spiritual and all that. It is personal and relational and it knows. And I want to tell you that for lots of folks, that's the big leap to make. It's not just that there's something large and creative and spiritual in the center of all that there is. What's amazing and beyond our ability to grab hold of is that there's a someone at the center of who you are. 
That's, that's the good news. We're known. You're known. What is ultimate out there is imminent, and what's imminent is intimate. In, in Revelation 2.17, where John sees this uh, reunion taking place of this person who has overcome, he writes, to the one who has overcome, I will give a clear, smooth stone with your secret name on it, known only to you. And then, then we'll know as we have always been known. Can't get there, can we, by reason? Can't reason our way to that reality of intimacy. Our minds can't really know this. It's a mystery, though, that we experience. Not something we figure out and assent to. Not, not some dogma that we sign on to. It's just what we have known. I was lost. Now I'm found. Lord God of all creation. And Lord God of each one of us. We thank you in this moment for the ways in which you have known us and found us again and again and again. We have been lost and we have been found in and through Christ. Amen. At this point in the service, we'd like to leave a time of silence to invite the Spirit to shape our thinking on what we've just heard. So we'll take that time now.